Got 30 down at the bottom, 30 more at the top. All invisible set with little ice cube blocks. If I could call it a drink, I'd call it a smile on the rocks. If I could call out a price, let's say I call out a lot. I got like platinum and white gold, traditional gold. I'm changing grills every day. Like Jay changed clothes, I might be grilled out nicely in my white tee. Or on South Beach in my wife B. VV studded, you can tell where they cut it. See, my grandmama hate it, but my little mama love it. Unbelievable. Beautiful poetry. Absolutely stunning. If that doesn't hit you where you live, you don't have a soul. So I thought um, grills were a great way to segue into today's topic of scarcity. Not everybody has a grill. You can't get a grill just anywhere on the street. Anyway, that was fun. So I feel like I... I haven't done this in like three days and I'm like, I am struggling a little bit. This is like literally my 10th take doing this. Cause now I'm, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like I was kind of on a roll and then I stopped for a while and now I'm like having a hard time picking it up. It's sort of like working out, you know, if you like don't work out for a while, it kind of sucks. So just bear with me a little bit, but I feel like there's a lot of things that cropped up over the weekend that I'd like to touch on. The first is um, I watched a little bit of the Netflix series Tiger King. Absolutely hated it. Thought it was disgusting garbage. Turned it off and canceled my Netflix subscription. Um, About the third episode, I felt like I could start um, smelling the people in the show, and that was too much for me. Um, Another kind of fun thing is um, I'm basically always like buying and selling houses. I'm either flipping houses wholesaling houses. I also have a problem where I buy house, like a shitty house um, and then sell the house, the nice house that I live in and then fix up the shitty one and move my family into it. And this weekend, I think I like found my dream house <laughs> and it's like literally a mansion and the price is like super good. And I don't know, like I just, I can't stop thinking about it. I want to spend the money and buy it. This thing is a monster. It's 5,100 square feet. Unbelievable. And uh, it's a good price. I feel like now that I have a kid, I have to like live in a nice neighborhood. The neighborhood I live in now is nice. But literally all my neighbor neighbors are in their 70s. So like the neighborhood I live in now is all like kind of, all the houses are like big ranches with like big lots. But there's no sidewalks. There's like no kids in this neighborhood. So when my son is a little bit older and we're planning on having more kids, obviously, I want him to be able to like have kids to play with, you know. I don't want to have to like set up play dates with I don't even know how you would do that. So this house is like perfect. It's huge, which I like. It has a four-car garage, which I like. Um it has like an extra tall garage door so I can get my truck in the garage, which I've basically I've always driven like heavy-duty trucks. And um and they like never fit in the garage because you have to have a t- taller. I always have lifts and stuff on them. Um, and you have to have like a taller garage door. And this one has like, I think it's like a 12 foot tall garage door. I think the guy who owned it before, like maybe had a semi or something in there. Um, I know it sounds kind of trashy, but it's actually cool. And then across the street, there's no neighbors across the street. There's like a green green space with a park across the street. And um, 
and they have a basketball court in the backyard. I'm like really talking myself into it, which is crazy. So, but if I don't buy it, if you're listening in Omaha and you're like, wow, that sounds good. Give me a call, reach out to me and I'll go show it to you. And maybe I can sell it to you. That would get me out of buying it. So that's some kind of some fun things that happened over the weekend. The other fun thing is that Omaha is basically open for business. So now I can go to a a restaurant and eat something, um, which is good. But now we have like this stupid, like, well, I guess scarcity of ground beef and scarcity of like meat products because of the Tyson plant shutting down. So that was a good segue into today's episode, today's topic of scarcity and I think that scarcity is something that's really important to build into your product or service, especially in the marketing. I mean, that's really where it comes in because you want to make sure that you like you motivate people correctly to get off the couch, purchase your product or service, and it has to be compelling, right? So right now what, what's going on is um, with like ground beef, obviously that's – that scarcity is super compelling because people are like, oh my God, if I don't have ground beef, I'm going to starve. Well, you don't really eat ground beef every day, but people think they do. So that's a really good example of it. And I hate to bring up COVID-19 every episode because that's a downer. Um, But another really good example of scarcity is um, when Apple came out with the iPhone and they really played this up a lot and did this really well, I thought, when Steve Jobs was the CEO um, and what they would do is basically they would in, underproduce the amount of of iPhones that were like coming out, and then because they were doing that, people would stand in line to get them, and then the lines would be like on the news, and then people would be like, "Oh my god!" Like iPhones are so cool that they're so cool, they're so groundbreaking that people are like willing to stand in line for four hours. So that scarcity built like a cool factor, and it 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 really drove people to want to like investigate an iPhone and purchase an iPhone and like be part of a club. And um, so that scarcity kind of in a nutshell, and I don't want to like give too many examples because I wrote down a bunch of examples and it's like, I could go on and on, but you get the picture. So the idea of the week is like a good, a good scarcity play. And I was also I couldn't decide if I want to call this episode scarcity or like exclusivity, but the idea is kind of like a little bit of mixture of both. So what the idea is, is it's a private men's club. I know what you're thinking. That sounds stupid, but just hear me out. So basically like a private men's club, like what I'm thinking about is, I don't know how many of you guys are like really big fans of like Sherlock Holmes, but Sherlock's Holmes brother is always hanging out at this men's club. It's called the Diogenes club. And what it is, is it's all these like wealthy Londoners. And then that's where they like congregate and not everyone can get in the club. It's just like the, like upper crust. So my idea for a private men's club is basically like a membership club. That would basically be, I'll just tell you exactly how I'll, I would do it. And I might do this because it sounds like once I un- unpack the whole idea, I think you're going to like it a lot more. On the surface, it sounds kind of silly. So what I would do is I would find like a a nondescript building, basically, that's maybe ideally like vacant. And then what I would do is like carve out like a section of it. And then I would make that into like a really cool um, bar 
a place you could like hang out, like a bar, like a smoking room, a place where like you could watch sports. Um, it would always be like staffed by, you know, like some bartenders. I would think I would probably do food too. Um, and then, but like the entrance would be like, not like out, wouldn't really be like public facing. So it might be like down an alley. So not everybody knew, knew about it. And I'll get to the reason why obviously has to do with scarcity. I would keep the, I would keep this club like pretty like secret and I would keep the membership like pretty high because it's not just like, we don't want just like everyone to be able to like get into this thing. So we're going to be like choosy. They have to go through like an application process. They have to like pay um, a good amount of like a monthly fee. And for the monthly fee, that would cover like so much like food, so much alcohol, um, so much like um, I guess you could like do like other events, like golf outings, like hunting trips, stuff like that. But then it's like you get to choose the people that you hang out with, get to choose the people that you network with and make money. Um, so I think that that's, that's pretty good. I would keep it like basically super secret. I would have no signage on the building whatsoever. Um, like I said, I'd have people apply and then I would like tell the members like not to talk about it. So if you tell someone not to do something like that, like if I tell you, do not think of an elephant, especially a gray, do not think of a gray elephant. Like it's going to pop up into your mind. So if, if, if you're like joining this cool club, um, and they say like, don't tell anyone, obviously you're going to tell people. It's kind of like fight club. The first rule of fight club is to don't talk about fight club, but that's like a little bit of like reverse psychology, you know? So obviously it would like grow over time. Like what I would do is, is like, okay, like if you're a member, like you can recruit like one or like bring in one person every like quarter or something like that with like a definite cap. So the scarcity is we're going to like cap the amount of members that we have. And then um, I would like put people on like a waiting list after that. And then the more exclusive it becomes and the more people on the waiting list, the higher and higher you can um, – you can charge fees for. So it's just basically like a country club. So country clubs, when they like first start out, they're expensive, but then over time, as they get more exclusive and more, um, and they play up the scarcity, then they can like, uh, they can really, really crank up the amount of fees they're um, charging. So the club itself, I would make it like super nice, like as nice as you can like afford. Um, and it's just like, I, I feel like now in public and even like in private if or whatever, it's like, you don't like want to like act like an idiot. You don't want to like tell rude jokes because everyone is like, it seems like everyone is like so sensitive now. So this would be kind of like a good place where you could like go to unwind um, and not be like super fearful of like, oh, I got like a little bit too drunk or, you know, anything like that. And then like the club would have like uh not limo service but maybe like town car service like for its members like if you needed a ride home stuff like that so there would obviously be like you would build in like good benefits like that that makes sense to like draw people in that that people would enjoy i would also maybe like ban like people being on their cell phones in the club it, and the reason I would do that is kind of like too, like, you don't want to be, you don't want to be like, let's say, 
like on a golf course, like a lot of business happens. So like, let's say you go out with somebody that you're like going to do business with on like the golf course, blah, blah, blah. Like you're going to get things done. You're going to talk about things that maybe isn't like public knowledge, but on the golf course, like it's a pretty wide open area, but in like a, in like a bar, even like a large bar, you don't want like somebody overhearing you or like it going out to like the public. So I would, um, I would like really strongly consider like banning cell phones. So people didn't think they were like getting recorded or like getting, um, uh, videotaped, um, if they're talking about business stuff or like, if they get a little bit too drunk, they don't want to like be living in fear or whatever. Cause things like this, we want to like attract like upper crust people that can afford like, you know, 25 or $50,000 a year to like be part of your club. Um, the other thing is, um, cell phones when you're trying to like, uh, socialize with people, uh, at like bars or restaurants are so fucking annoying now because like literally you'll be sitting at a table of like, so like me and my wife will like go out with like other couples and then we'll go out to dinner or whatever. We'll be at like a round table and like you look up and like everyone's on their goddamn phone. It's so fucking irritating. So I would like strongly suggest like banning phones or at least saying that phones are like you can't use your phone like during most of the time or something or having, you can use your phone, but it'd be like in the front entrance or something like that. Um, like I said, it would be a, a undescript building, no signage. You'd have to like enter a code to get in the door or like tell a doorman, like the right answer to the answer to a question or something like that. Um, the other thing I would say is like nothing leaves the club. So I would have people that joined, I think they would have to literally sign like a non-disclosure under threat of lawsuit because I want people to be able to like speak freely in there, talk about like doing business deals, talk about um, like local politics, things like that without being um, obsessed that somebody is going to like overhear it and like take it to the press or overhear it and take it to another like business owner or something like that. Um, and like having that kind of like sounds weird to like the average person that might be listening to this to not have cell phones and for people to sign like non-disclosures. But like what I'm saying for this club is you want it literally so exclusive that you're getting like the top three to 5% of like the male population in your town. So like I'm talking about business owners, local politicians, that's going to build the exclusivity and the scarcity of it. And that's going to allow you to like charge a lot more money um, for your members. And and that's going to be like a selling point for people to want to sign up. Because, you know, um, what if you live in Denver and like John Elway is part of it? You know, John Elway doesn't want to take selfies with you when he's at this club. He wants to like chill out and like have a drink or whatever. Um, so those are the reasons I would build that in, build in those like safety that safety for like people who are maybe like high profile or celebrities. Cause they don't want to like take selfies with you. They don't want to be recorded or any of that bullshit too. So, um, that's going to be like a, a big benefit for people who might want to join that are in that like social class. Um, I would maybe collect monthly or quarterly or annual dues. Um, and like I said, like at the beginning, you want them to be like fairly high. And then as, as you fill it up, it's going to get like higher and higher and higher until you have a waiting list. And then you can like really crank it up. And what do I mean about high? So like maybe starting out, it would be $25,000 a year. And I, I've, I haven't really like ever researched this exactly, but, um, this is like an idea that I came up with like, um, 
a while ago because like me and my friends like wanted to go somewhere and it's like, we, we just like didn't really find anywhere that we like fit in. So I was like, God, wouldn't it be cool if like you had your, your own bar, but then if you have your own bar, it's like, there's a, like a lot of problems with having a bar, but then like a private club is like a little bit, is a little bit different. So I, this is how it count, how I kind of like landed on this idea. And I think that you can make a lot of money with this idea because I think if like you had a waiting list, you could charge upwards of like a hundred thousand dollars um, a year for people to like belong to your club. The other thing that I would maybe do is once you got like enough people and you could fund it, um, obviously you'd have a bar in there, but you could maybe do like special events, like golf outings, like hunting trips, um, like skiing trips, other things that like a lot of members would like to go on that you could like, um, purchase like group, um, tickets for, um, I think that that would be a good one. And then the other thing that you could do is like expand, um, by opening other like chapters in like different cities. So, um, so yeah, that's private men's club. I know it kind of like sounds a little like fraternity, but I I wouldn't like structure it like as a fraternity. I wouldn't structure it with like hierarchical like ranks and shit like that. I would structure it more like a country club, but it's like a bar that people can go to and like hang out and not be bothered. Um and then like people in the club would also be able to like you know, kind of like steer like what they want. So like if they want like a certain, certain kinds of beer, they want like a smoking room or they want, um, things like that. So like the people would have say, so it'd be different than like a fraternity and there wouldn't be like any, I wouldn't do any like secret, um, like, like fraternity stuff where like people in robes, just, I wouldn't do any dumb shit like that. I would keep it more like as a, basically like a country club kind of thing. Um, but I think that that could be good too. And a lot of times, um, I'm going to like say this quietly. So your wife doesn't hear. Sometimes you like want to be away from your wife and family and you don't want to be competing with women at a bar to like get a drink or dealing with loud women. So that's another thing that I was thinking of when I was like, me and my friends were going out. It's like, God, there's like laughing, screaming women in every bar. It's like, I just want to like chill out hang out with my friends, be able to talk. Cause every bar now is blasting music. I know I sound like an, a bitter old man, but it's like, you can't even hear your friends talk. You're screaming in each other's faces. Um, so this would just be like a good place for like adults to like go hang out and, but it's not like a dive bar. So, and, and it would be a way to like network and like meet other people in your community. So I think it could be good got to keep it exclusive. You got to keep the scarcity angle played up in order to make any money at this. But I think if you did it right and you made it really cool and you got the right people to like join in with you, I think you can make a, uh, I think you could really make a ton of money at this because like exclusive country clubs make tons and tons of money. Um, so anyway, that's the idea of the week. And I think it's a pretty cool idea. I've never heard of this, but I'm not I guess I'm not maybe like hooked into the right social pipeline. There could be something like this here, but I've never heard of it. Um, and these kind of things used to be like really popular, like in the, in the late 1800s uh, or early 1900s, the men's clubs and stuff like that were like super popular. And in today's like PC culture, I think that they, I think that they do have a, like a place for people to go unwind and like make, just do dumb stuff and then not like, have somebody like tattle on like the way 
tattle on them or whatever for the way they were behaving. So anyway, that's the idea of the week. I think that's a pretty cool idea. I think you can make money with it. So we're moving on to the um, the sale of the week. And we're going to go along with um, scarcity. And the scarcity of this is pretty cool. I don't know if you guys are like familiar uh, with the De Beers diamond mining operation or De Beers, I guess like more of marketing really. So like the De Beers company, basically, I think they basically still do. They, they basically control the entire like diamond trade everywhere of the whole world. And they will hold back the supply of diamonds to, to create more scarcity and drive up the price of a diamond. I'm not sure if you guys know, but a diamond actually doesn't really have any intrinsic value. It's just basically expensive because the beers came up with really good marketing that said that there that said it had intrinsic value and really sold everyone on the idea um, of diamonds, especially diamonds for like wedding rings. Because prior to the beers, there a diamond wedding ring really wasn't a thing. Every wedding ring was basically just a wedding band of either gold or silver, something like that. And that's what men and women wore. So it really wasn't until De Beers came along um, and sold everybody on having a diamond ring, a marriage stone. So the idea for sale this week is a wholesale diamond and jewelry store in Miami, Florida. So this is really folds into the scarcity theme that we're going with. And this is like, sounds like a pretty good business. Um, I don't like know. I just basically know that little blurb I gave you about De Beers, like controlling the entire diamond trade of the whole world, but I don't really know the ins and outs of the, of the, um, the diamond trade outside of that. So, the asking price of this company, of this business, is $1.5 million, but it cash flows 800000 So they're asking just under two times earning for this, which is really good. It does gross annual revenue of two, a little bit over $2.8 million, and they have an inventory of $1 million that's not included in the sales price. So... Um, you would also need to purchase the inventory for an additional million dollars. It was established in 1982, and it says the owner's retiring after 35 years in the business. This spectacular diamond and jewelry wholesale business has been serving local stores in South Florida and international jewelry business with their superior products and finest jewelry. The business is in the heart of downtown Miami. They do no retail so it's relaxing and slow-paced business with bulk orders from small jewelry stores with decades of loyal um, uh, business. It's a family-owned business that requires no employees. So this person is just a sole, um, a solopreneur making $800,000 a year, which is amazing. Um, and the business hours that this guy has been keeping has been 10 a.m. to in the afternoon, it just says. So pretty flexible. It's extremely profitable, um, but it does come with some caveats that I don't like. Um, so the first one is cash offers only with no seller financing. So like I told you guys before, any business that you buy that's worth buying the owner that you're buying it from has to carry part of the note on it. The reason why they have to carry part of the note is if they're lying about their books, which 
I've heard of a business deal where the owners of the business, they were selling a car wash. They had three separate books. They had books for potential buyers. They had books for the IRS and they had books for the family. So they were sharing different numbers with like anyone who wanted to look at the books. So basically if you have three books, you have no books, right? So you're lying about everything. Um, And that, that the seller carry back or the seller financing portion of a business deal, that's your like security piece. So if you like buy a business and you get into it and you find out that the previous owners were lying about everything, then you can say, well, I'm not paying you this portion of the price or like I'm only paying you this portion of it or something. So that gives you some like, that's like an insurance policy. So if they're not willing to give you an insurance policy, like red flags need to definitely come up. Um, The other thing is, they're only going to show you the the books during due diligence after an offer has been accepted. I don't like that either. And they're saying, well, it's because of due to sensitive information. But if you're selling your business, you're going to have to share the books. So get over yourself. It says the reason for selling is the current uh, owner is retiring, which that's okay. Um, but the no seller financing, that's bullshit. The other thing is that it says that the owner is only going to stay on for – I think like two weeks. Well, that's not realistic either, right? Um, he's going to have to stay, stay longer than two weeks because if he's doing all this supposedly bulk orders, bulk um, diamond sales, I mean, you're going to need to be like introduced to all of his clients and that's going to take longer than a week. So um, I misplaced the broker's like name and address on here. Um so if you want it, I will get it to you. Sorry about that. Little see, like I'm all I'm I'm out of my rhythm. It's screwing me up. So um, this business was started in 1982, so that's good. But if you guys want more information, um, just send me a note, and I will get it back to you. I'll put my email and Facebook in the show notes, and you guys can reach out to me if you want more information. So. God, like, I'm really just shitting the bed on this one. I got to apologize. I'm, like, all over the place. Really sad. I'm probably thinking about that house I want to buy. That's my other addiction outside of business ideas is buying houses. So the three critiques of the week, the first one I, like, sort of touched on when I was talking about the, like, private men's club, and that is somebody I want to know, well, a couple people, want to buy a sports bar. Uh, No. Sports bar is the same thing as a restaurant, but instead of selling uh, food, you're selling drinks. And and they want to do this in Omaha. And so like a little caveat is in, in Omaha, there's literally a bar on every corner. A lot of people don't know this. The reason there's a bar on every corner is because like Omaha, Nebraska used to be like the sports bookkeeping capital of the United States. So the mob would have all of their like Bet bookmakers, all of them like lived in Omaha. So they would take all these bets from everywhere, but the books, the books were being done in Omaha. So there's a, there's a bar on every corner for, there was a bar on every corner for since the fifties in Omaha for a variety of reasons. You could go make your bets in there. And then the other thing is they were like money laundering. So Omaha has a long history of having bars on every corner and that continues today. There is literally, in my neighborhood, there's literally 
so my neighborhood is basically like three quarters houses and one quarter uh, restaurants and other things like that. And so like in that little corner of my neighborhood, there is a pizza slash sports bar. There's a traditional sports bar. There's a bar, just a straight up bar. There is a steakhouse slash bar and there's a seafood place slash bar. So there's like five bars in my neighborhood. And then if you cross over the major streets, there's more bars. So I hate that. I don't like that at all. I think the bar's bad. You're going to have a lot of employees stealing. You're going to have to get a liquor license. You're going to have to deal with lawsuits. You have to deal with a ton of competition. So in Omaha and in most places, that's a big no for me. So the next one is a guy is thinking that I know is thinking about switching careers and thinking about being a financial representative for Edward Jones. I actually like this idea. Um, I like it because I think Edward Jones, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Edward Jones puts you like pretty through like a pretty good, like sales training. And, and one thing I like about Edward Jones is they basically like force you to like be good. They force you, they make you like walk neighborhoods and like knock on people's doors. And if you've like never like done door knocking to like get business going or cold calling, door knocking is even harder because you're there in person. And people, especially nowadays, like it's hard to like knock on someone's door and get them to answer. And if they do answer, you really have like three seconds to like win them over. So I love the door knocking thing because that's going to teach you to be like quick on your feet. It's going to teach you to be like friendly. It's going to teach you to be approachable in a f- and fast. So it's going to get you out failing fast, which I love. A big part of being like an entrepreneur or starting a business or going off on your own is you have to learn that being an entrepreneur is getting shit on all day, every day. I always tell people because they ask me about flipping. They're like, well, what's it like to like flip? And it's like, well, most of the time it's miserable until you get a check. And I always tell people like my, my highest high is probably five times higher than you've ever experienced as far as like professionally or like getting paid on something. Not too many people get like six figure checks, you know, that's like for something that they did for like three months. So it's like really unusual, but my lowest low is a hundred times worse than your lowest low. I mean, if you have a bad day at work, you're probably not going to lose everything you own. If you have a bad day flipping, you could literally lose your life savings. So, and a big part of that is like, you have to get through all of the like tough times and get to the light at the end of the tunnel. And you have to like have all these like little tiny failures to get to those like high highs. And I think Edward Jones does a good job by getting you out in the public face-to-face, getting a door shut in your face literally tens or hundreds of times a day. So I think that's good because you don't have to like door knock forever at Edward Jones. That's just how you like start out. And I knew a girl who um, started off for Edward Jones. She did door knocking. She was really personable, really good. And people would like invite her in. They would turn over their like 401k or IRA to her for help. And, And she did really well. And I think Edward Jones, like Edward Jones is like a household name. It's kind of like um, what I talked about with um, State Farm. But I think Edward Jones, Edward Jones is like the wall, 
I don't want to say Walmart, but Edward Jones is like the financial advisors for like normal people, you know, it's, it's like the financial advisor. That's like, you're like hometown person kind of, and they do a good job like selling that on TV. They do a good job like advertising. I think their advertisements are like good or to the point, blah, blah, blah. You can go in, like meet an Edward Jones uh, person uh, face to face and Edward Jones when you work at Edward Jones, you can sell their investments. I think you do have like some flexibility, so that's good too. I know a guy who does this um, full time in like a small town in like rural Iowa, and he makes I think between one twenty and one forty every year. So I think you can make like pretty good money. Um, kind of like I said with like State Farm, are you going to be like making a million bucks a year um, being an Edward Jones rep? No, I mean maybe. Maybe the top 5% of people could, but it could, I think it's a good like starting spot where you could like build up some knowledge and like how everything works and then like move on to um, chase like uh, bigger fish. So I do, if you want to get into financial services, I think Edward Jones is a really good place to start. So I like that. The other one is, um, this is like pretty unique. My wife and her mom are like really on this kick of like doing this, but it's personal organizing and my wife and, and mother-in-law, sorry, they like, they were on this kick where they would do like one room a day or one room a week or something like that. And they would like go into a room of the house and like try to like organize everything. And they're like, well, the way you see if you need something is you pick it up and you see if it like brings you joy and if it doesn't bring you joy, you throw it away. And if it brings you joy, you keep it. Um, <laughs> there is obviously some problems with that. My last year's tax records don't bring me joy, but I'm sure as hell not throwing them away. So I had to do a little bit of organiz... Uh, God. Pathetic. I am have had to do a little bit of research to find out what kind of money you could make going into someone's house and organizing. And according to Google, which is a good place to start um, checking out the information, you can make about 30 to 80 bucks an hour of doing this. So you go in and like organize someone's closet, you organize their laundry room, you organize the garbage in their basement. So if you're into that kind of thing, if you like sifting through other people's garbage, um, and then a lot of it is like, um, you're like helping coach them through like throwing away stuff that they don't need. So I guess you're like kind of, it's almost like you're being their therapist in a way because they're like, Oh, like you, we've probably all seen like um, hoarding that show on TLC. Speaking of shitty TV, TLC is just all disgusting. Anyway. So TLC has that show um, hoarding and like a lot of the time they'll like bring in a therapist or I guess they could, the people could be professional organizers. I don't know. They come in and they like have to like coach through the people, coach, coach the people on like throwing away all this garbage. And they like give them a piece of like trash and they're like, is this okay for us to throw away? And the person's like, well, I might use it. And it's like, um, those are like soiled bed sheets. And they've been there probably, they're, they're at the bottom of like a four foot pile. And they try to like, walk these people through, like, you're never going to use that. So if you're in, if you're into that kind of thing, like really like helping people who are like irrational, basically, um, be my guest. 
I think that that's okay. That's like a, that's a specialized niche is professional organizer. And I think it's kind of like minimal, minimalist Zen living kind of stuff is like sort of popular right now. So I do think that that's good. So I like that. So sports bar, no. Edward Jones, uh, I like that as a stepping stone. I think you can make good, good, decent money working there. And personal organizer, I think that that could be good. You might struggle like turning that into like a real full-time thing. But if you wanted to do like a side hustle or like a part-time thing doing that, like on the evenings and weekends, I think that that could be good. Um, you could also do that too. You could also kind of combine that with like doing estate sales for people. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, an estate sale company will go into like a, uh, like help family members like sort through their like loved ones things and then sell the stuff um, that they don't want. So I think that you could kind of go um, combine those things if you wanted to like make more money because that would help you do it like full time a little bit better. So anyway, those are the three critiques of the day. And I got to apologize. Like I was a little rusty today. I wasn't like feeling it. The last one, like 10, 10 was good, man. 10 felt good. I love that bitch. <laughs> so I guess next time I'm just going to bring it hard. Um, so we're coming up on a hundred downloads. I'm like totally blown away. I just basically started this to like vent all my ideas and, and uh, get all my stuff out of my system. So we're coming up on a hundred downloads. I, I really appreciate you guys listening. I would really appreciate if you guys could uh, share this podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, wherever you guys hang out online. Also, if you guys could subscribe to my channel on YouTube, it's uh, Zach Herger, the idea addict. And then also on Instagram, it's just idea addict on Instagram. So I think I'm going to maybe start like doing some videos. So um, I think that I could have a lot of fun like on YouTube uh, for sure. So yeah, if you guys could like uh, keep listening, share the show, that helps me like a ton. And next next time I'll try to bring it. I'm just going to do it tomorrow night. I think I just got to stay in rhythm, just keep it cracking. So anyway, appreciate you guys. Catch you guys next time.